Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nonprofit Nation. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and we have a really great episode today. We have two very special guests. I'm going to introduce them. Crystal M. Cherry is a trained fundraiser with more than 22 years of nonprofit experience, serving on executive teams as a liaison with boards and a confidant to the CEO, executive director. Crystal has a passion to help transform board members into impactful leaders, and she touts fundraising as her ministry, the place where she feels she can make the biggest difference. Crystal's mantra, fundraising is not an F word. I love that. (laughs) She founded and leads The Board Pro, a company that equips board members with the tools they need to effectively govern and help nonprofits to fulfill their missions, scale, and become change agents in their communities. I also have with us today, Dr. Renee Rubin-Ross, a recognized leader on board and organizational development and strategy, and the founder of the Ross Collective, a consulting firm that designs and leads inclusive participatory processes for social sector boards and staff. Committed to racial equity in the nonprofit sector, Dr. Ross guides leaders and organizations in strategic plans and governance processes that deepen social change, racial justice, stakeholder engagement, and community strength. And I love this because I do have a nonprofit management certificate, although not from Cal State University, East Bay, but Dr. Ross is the director of the nonprofit management certificate program at Cal State University, East Bay, and teaches board development and grant writing for the program. So welcome to you both. Crystal, let's begin with your story and sort of how you got started in nonprofits, and then we can talk about this exciting collaboration. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so my journey started many moons ago, probably about 25 years ago, started working in the nonprofit sector in higher education and thought I was going to be a college president. And so I uh, was working my way up on that trajectory. I received my master's degree in education and thought I was going to head to the dean of academics and then the vice president and then the president. Uh, well, that got sidebarred. I met a woman in the fundraising office at American University where I was working in Washington, D.C., And she started talking to me about fundraising. I had no interest in it whatsoever, but she Mm. kept talking to me and talking to me and finally convinced me that it it was something that I could do. She said, you're charismatic, you know, you're likable, you're not afraid to speak up. You're the perfect kind of person to uh, to work in this field. And so I decided to give it a a shot and I've not looked back. And so that was 25 years ago and Mm. enjoyed a really wonderful career in fundraising, working with higher eds, working with 
faith-based organizations, human services organizations, and then in consulting, working for a consulting firm. And then after a while, decided I wanted to give it a shot and hang out my shingle and work primarily with nonprofit boards where I saw there was a need. And so that's kind of how I got where I am today. Really enjoying the space that I'm in and enjoying working with Renee. And we can't wait to tell you about what we're up to. Awesome. All right, Renee, do you want to share a little bit about your background? Yes, absolutely. And Julia, thank you so much. It's fun to um, be in conversation with you. So uh, I have a long time background in education, like Crystal. Most recently was working with a foundation and left and started consulting with clients on my own. And actually my, my work at Cal State East Bay really impacted my journey as I you know, met some of our students who are really a rainbow of people working in the nonprofit sector. The, the program's based in Oakland, California, but we draw students from all around and now we're online, so we really draw students from everywhere. Um, our students were asking these questions about leadership and about inclusion. And as I, the more that I taught board development, I thought their voices are so important in terms of hearing the voices and the process. And I really, Commit, became more and more committed to you know to hearing to designing leading processes that hear everyone's story honor each person and and so it's become something that I'm really passionate about I do strategic planning and I also do this work with crystal which has been really life-changing for for the two of us I think and also for the clients that we're working with so excited to tell you more yes all right well um, crystal talk about how this collaboration came to be. Yeah. So uh, back in 2020, remember that? You know, it seems like 20 <laughs> years ago. Oh, <laughs> I still think it's 2020 sometimes. <laughs> it was a crazy year for all of us, I think. And, you know, I found myself in all kinds of rooms, meeting lots of wonderful people who have been doing amazing work. And you know, I just kept bumping into Renee. I can't remember if I attended one of her seminars or if she attended one of mine, but somehow we connected and just started talking about the work that she was doing and the work that I was doing. And, um, you know, I just said, you know what, why don't we collaborate? We have some similar interests, although we have very different backgrounds and we just started talking and I invited her. I got a client who was interested in doing some diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And I just thought, how cool would it be to have, you know, a duo team who, you know, a white woman and a black woman who come from different backgrounds, who have different experiences, but shared interests and great experience. And so I invited Renee to come on the journey with me, um, not knowing how it was going to all work out. And we, you know, we just decided to go for it and, and it worked. And so it's been great. We have kind of smooched and modified our training and made it so that we can tailor it, you know, to our different clients. And it's just been a wonderful journey so far. So I'll allow Renee to, to chime in here. What we found is that some different organizations have reached out to us who want to begin to talk about race in their organization. And um, I feel, so I, I, I had an interest in, you know, in talking about racial equity for a few years. I was starting to work on this and I really came to the point as a white person that I do not want to lead these kinds of conversations on my own if, you know, with, with people of color in the room, because I don't really have the lived experience to, to talk to the people of color and feel like I could be an expert. But it feels really powerful to have Crystal and I together 
And sometimes she, so in terms of the conversation, sometimes she's leading, sometimes I'm leading, and different people in the room are able to hear different, you know, parts of what we're sharing. So it's turned out to be a really powerful collaboration, and we keep learning from each other. I also feel like it's my responsibility as a white person to learn on my own and not to expect some person of color to be teaching me about racism. But, but so we are, we are both kind of parallel, continuing to learn and continuing to, to share. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. So the, the topic today is how to move boards towards racial equity. And I know it's something that certainly has been talked a lot about in the last two years, but certainly in my entire experience with nonprofits is something that I'm really happy to see coming to the forefront finally. So we're going to talk about the new service that you've designed and also hopefully give us some tips and some techniques and strategies that we can use to try to make this happen at our organization. So the new service is called Planning the Seeds of Change, a journey towards race equity culture. So Crystal, tell me about this. Tell me about your guiding principles and tell me a little bit about how nonprofits are are benefiting from this service. Yeah. So one of the things that we, you know, we emphasize and I, I, I was intentional about saying that it's a journey because there is no fixed endpoint to this work. Mm. And so one of the things that Renee and I get out of the way right away when we start, you know, working with our clients is we, you know, we explain to them, you know, that a three month training is not going to, you know, change <laughs> behaviors and attitudes and mindsets that have been in place for 30, 40, 50 years. And so this is a journey. This is a beginning point where you can start having some of those important conversations, some of those uncomfortable conversations that need to happen where people start to explore where they are in their own journey towards learning about race equity. And, you know, we try to make the space a vulnerable space. Both of us come to the space with some vulnerability. We both share about our own backgrounds and our own insecurities and vulnerabilities. And we hope that by doing so, that we kind of set the stage to let folks know, hey, you know, no one's pointing fingers at anyone. We are here to all talk and learn together and to get you from where you are right now to where you'd like to be, you know, a year from now or six years from now, so that you can at least point you in that direction and give you the tools that you need so that you can uh, that you can keep going. And so I had done this um, training once by myself, and Renee and I have smooched it and changed it around, as I mentioned. But it's a three-part series where I lead a session, she leads a session, we do some race caucusing where we separate our board members by race. I lead the caucus for people of color, she leads the caucus for, for our white board members, and then we come back together um, for one final training. It can be in-person or virtual. And that's like a four-hour training where we talk about everything that we learned and we kind of set them up to have a plan on how they can move forward once their time with us is up. And that can take anywhere from three months to five months. I think, you know, we had one client and it took us five or six months to get through this journey with. So we don't know how it's going to pan out depending on, you know, people's schedules and how we can get, you know, these things scheduled on the, on the calendar, but it's not fast, easy work. And we yes. tell people that. So that's kind of what, what we do. I'm going to let Renee chime in a little bit here as well. 
Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, Crystal. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about the motivation because I think that's so interesting. And we will, you know, we will say that the organizations that are reaching out to us, generally speaking, something has happened that has caused them to you know have a bit of an identity crisis. So with one, this was there was an incident where there was a committee meeting of the board and there were several women of color who felt disrespected and decided that they didn't want to be on the board anymore and that you know that it was better despite the fact that the organization was primarily serving black and brown families that they just could not support the culture on the board and they left. And so that was the point where the, the organization reached out to us, not really understanding what had happened. And actually the strange thing is that, or maybe it's not strange, this organization did not reach out to us and say, hey, hey, here's what happened. They just reached out and said, well, hmm, we wanted we want some different, you know, DEI consulting. So okay, and then then as we started to talk to them more, yes, yeah, and it turned out that the founder was white, and that person had not really didn't have the competency to talk about race, you know, in in a serious way, and to talk about the different different the inequality that's happening in our society, and those are the conversations that we started leading in a very you know, in a very caring and non-confrontational way, but also just just holding a mirror to how the board had been acting. I think this is all very relevant, especially to me right now. I'm mm-hmm. going through this with the school committee. I'm on the school committee here where I live, and we just went through as a committee a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging training. And um, also that particular consultant that led the training, the facilitator, said that same theme about it being a journey. It's not something to check off the to-do list, which I think a lot of people think, okay, we did the DEI training. Now we're good. <laughs> now we're, we're totally fine. And racism is over. Like that does not happen. That's not the way it works. So I'm glad you brought that up. The other thing I wanted to point out is that I thought was really interesting is that when people do hear you know, the terms DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, they do always think it's about race, but I think it's also important for boards to know, and I know you know this, it's about so much more. It's about sexual orientation. It's about disabilities. It's about mental health issues. It's just about making sure that the workplace is inclusive for everyone from all different backgrounds. And I, I found that to be a wake-up call because what we found was the school committee said, well, we're all white and mm-hmm. we're from a predominantly white community. So why do we need this? And I thought, okay, it's not, you think we're all the same just because we're white. We don't have all the same lived experiences. We don't have all the same backgrounds. So I think for boards that might say, even they might say to you, you know, what would you say to a board that comes to you and says, well, we're diverse. You know, we've, we've a pretty good mix of different races and ethnicities on our board and, and we don't need this and we're good. What's some advice you would give them? I'll throw that to you, Crystal. 
Well, you know, the first thing I'd say, you know, a lot of times you, I'm going to break it down even further. When you say race, you know, I think when people hear DEI, they just think black, white. They don't yes. even realize that there are other Good point. Uh, other groups that fall in the people of color category. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, that we've really appreciated about the work that we're doing is that when we go, we, when we do our exercise on race stories and hear people's race autobiographies, we get to hear from our Asian sisters or our Mexican sisters or our Indian brothers about their experiences growing up. And you realize that, you know, they've had some issues as well. They just don't speak up about them. <laughs> Many of their traditions and cultures don't encourage them to speak up. And so they've been kind of quietly watching the whole black white thing play out, wondering where do we fit in this paradigm? You know, how do we have a voice at, at, in the room? We're not even seen. And so I know that they often mm. feel invisible. And so, you know, with this world changing as rapidly as it is and a third of the population in the United States are people of color right now. And so it can no longer be ignored. And so even though you might think you have it all and, you know, nice and neat in a box, we totally get this. We're diverse. We don't need any. You know, what you'll find is that once you start, once you open that you know, Pandora's box and start talking about it, you might realize that there are some issues and that there are some people of color in the room, like your Asian brothers, maybe your Native Americans who have not said anything. And you don't even realize there's an issue. There may be some women in a room who have felt marginalized or dismissed or overlooked who may have an issue and have not said anything. There may be some folks who are same-sex loving individuals who are in the room who have not come out, who don't feel comfortable being their authentic selves. And so you might think everything is peachy keen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but once you get in the room and you start inv inviting people to be um, open and candid about how they're feeling and what's going on, Pandora's box is opened and you realize that we still have some work to do, even though we didn't realize it. So that's my response. Renee? Thank you. Oh, that was, that was lovely, Crystal. Um, I would just add, we talk a lot about building belonging and belonging is this idea that everybody who comes into the space feels like I belong here. Mm -hmm. And and what would that feel like? And and you know and and if you think about well what's the journey from whoever whoever kind of owns the space right now which you know maybe if it may be a white person, white man, if it's a, a historically led white organization to anyone who comes here feels like all parts of their identity are, are honored and affirmed. You know, and that they could really speak up and contribute. And I mean, the it's like, what's the reason for this? We all this is this is us like flourishing as organizations, as people, and everybody being able to contribute. You know, the their best parts of themselves. And now a word from our sponsor. I'm here to tell you that this podcast episode is sponsored by my newest free training, social media in 20 minutes per day. This is where I give you my exact framework and process to schedule and organize your time so that social media does not take over your entire day and to-do list. Watch the replay for free at social media in 20, that's two zero, the number's two zero.com. And be sure to tag me on social to let me know what you think. That's social media in 20.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. What would 
your advice be, and Renee, you can answer this one, start answering it. Um, what would your advice be to a very well-meaning development director, marketing director, someone on a nonprofit staff, or even an executive director who wants to start these uncomfortable conversations? And what's the first step along this journey? So I wrote a whole series on on on, on it's called it's about liber, it's about liber, this idea of liberatory consciousness and this is a process and I think often when um, even right after George Floyd there was a sense for white people of like okay we see there's a problem now let's take action right now and oh my gosh this is if you just step back a little this is something that's been going on for hundreds of years and it's not going to go away without really reflecting on. Well, how are we all, you know, so start to learn, start to talk to people, start to listen, and then start to pay attention to, you know, what's the vision of the organization that we want to build and where are we not living up to that vision right now? And I think that's kind of the place where you could start to find motivation for this work in whatever form it's going to take. Absolutely. Crystal, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think you you need to go to your leadership and, and share that, you know, exactly what I said earlier, the world is changing, you know, our donors look different now, you know, we, we may have been ignoring some folks in our database who have the capabilities to support us even more, that'll definitely get their attention, right? who we have not been cultivating. We don't know how, uh, I'm a white fundraiser and I don't know how to cultivate a Hispanic donor or a donor who is African-American and I need some help. And I would love if we can kind of open up the conversation internally about what our stance is in this space when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion and start having some conversations with our staff first so that I will know how to proceed and be as successful as I can be as a fundraiser to make sure that all donors in our database, all volunteers in our database, all board members who are on our boards feel comfortable in the space that we're in and they know that we appreciate and celebrate their differences. And if you phrase it like that, that it's going to help you to be more productive as a fundraiser so that you can raise more money and bring more diverse voices into the field. I mean, money is green. It doesn't matter what color um, mm-hmm. you you know, that is, but you can have untapped populations that you're not really cultivating because you don't really understand what it takes to um, to cultivate them. And so if you bring that to the attention of your supervisor, you probably will get some kind of positive response. I love that. I think what's so important about these, these trainings and these kinds of conversations, especially being led by an outside person, what we saw at our committee workshop was that we did not have a shared language around things like privilege and bias and a lot of the terms that make people really uncomfortable and are very emotionally charged. And what I found, I just think it's so interesting that I I went through a little tiny piece of this journey. We're still going through it, but it got us all not on the same page, but we could at least see eye to eye and we were all using the same terminology in the same kind of way. And we all really understood more what is inclusivity, what is equity, what is diversity, what is belonging. So I think that's really important to have someone with an outside perspective come in, especially if this is a heated emotional conversation. So another question I wanted to ask, just because 
this is a fairly new service, a new training, but both of you have been working in this space for quite some time. What, have, what are some of the results that you've seen in your work together? So with this one organization we worked with, at the beginning, they really couldn't talk about race. Like they just had no, kind of like you're, as you're describing, Julia, yep. they just had no competence. And I think, by the way, I mean, it's such a funny thing. For many white people, it's considered rude to talk about race. Right. It's like, oh, I don't want to bring that up because I don't want to embarrass you or I don't want to something like that. And yet, or I don't mean to interrupt you, but one woman on the committee said, I don't see race. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of And yet mentality research has shown, for example, in education, if teachers do not talk about race, students feel that students of color feel that their experiences are completely invalidated. So it's like. Well, you have to know that like you're not going to be it's not rude in, in this point in our in our culture. It's not rude to talk about race it's, if you are if you're able to have these conversations in an affirming, curious, you know, compassionate, honest way, it could actually be very validating. So they, in the end, they were able to start talking about race and they said, oh, we want more. One of the things you know, this, that we do is we share race stories. And people were just really, really interested and curious and learning from each other and surprised by different things people shared. And they said, we just, we want to keep doing this. And they are, they're going to continue the work. And that's really what we were trying, as Crystal said at the beginning, we're not, all problems will not be solved, but it's, we help them to develop the, the, you know, some tools to continue the work. That's fantastic. Crystal, do you have any other case studies you'd like to share? Yeah, I, you know, I wanted to share that, you know, my own experience uh, with one of our clients, in fact, the same client that Renee is mentioning, I was to travel to meet with them in person and sent them the information for my flight and, you know, just said, you know, let me know, you know, when you book the flight, send me my airline information. And I received pushback that they don't pay for flights uh, uh, or travel in advance that you uh, have to pay for your own travel and expenses and then wait to be reimbursed. And although I did have a credit card, I could have put it on my credit card. I pushed back and said, you know, this is part of what we discussed. It was in our contract that I was to come and I don't want to put this on my credit card. I want you to buy the ticket and then just send the information to me. And I received pushback that they don't pay vendors when I had to come push back and say, well, I'm not a vendor, I'm a consultant. And it just was handled poorly. And I just Mm -hmm. thought to myself, if this is what they do to staff or board members who are not in a position to put out expenses up front, you know, Mm -hmm. if if a staff person is traveling, if a board member is traveling on business for the organization and the person says to you, first of all, you shouldn't even put them in that position. But if they then say to you, I'm not in a position where I can afford to, or I don't feel comfortable, or I don't want to, you don't really even have to explain why I don't want to do this. Then if you want this to happen, if you want us to continue to work for you, then you have to. And so I just got all this. So I decided to let it play out to see how it was going to play out. And to me, I said to them when I met with them, you know, if I were a donor looking at the situation, I don't know that I would want to support an organization who treats people of color, you know, and I could be a donor to your organization later. I'm a consultant now, but I could later give you a gift. And based on how I've been treated, I don't know that I would support you. 
And so even as we were working with them, this is that same organization that Renee has been speaking about, even as we were working with them, I experienced some bias. I experienced some blind spots that they had about how they treated me. And I don't know that it was because I was a person of color. I just know that anybody, a white person, a black person, an Indian person who says, I don't feel comfortable putting this travel on my credit card for whatever reason it is should not have been treated the way that I was treated. And so those are the kinds of real life examples that happen even while we'll do while we're doing the work. And I oh, don't yes. know that once I confronted them that they even got it. <laughs> uh, I like to tell a story of the way a client treated me one time when I was starting out in consulting and I've run my business for about 12 years and I had a daughter. And then I was pregnant in 2015 with my son or 2014. And I had a client, a longtime client. And he asked me, he said, well, how are you going to manage two kids and and work? (laughs) I said, you would would never ask a man that. There's not Uh something you would ever ask a man. And I just remember the feeling that I had and how I felt completely deflated and defeated. And I felt you know, completely ignored and just dismissed almost because he's basically saying you're not going to be a good mom. I mean, you, I know Crystal, I know you have a son, right? Yes. I have a son and Renee has two, two, two kids. Oh, great. So you know what I'm talking about then. Yes. You definitely have that happen to you. Every woman or people who identify as women listening to the podcast have had that happen to them. So I don't think that's we're any strange strangers to that, but that that blind spot, just that he thought this was a completely normal question to ask. And I think he thought he was doing me a favor and it wasn't something I'd even thought about just living in that way and not understanding how your actions affect other people. So I think that's I think that's incredibly, incredibly important for us to recognize. Yeah. And Julia, you, you know, you just reminded me of something, which is I believe that there is you know, we our research has shown our society is becoming more segregated. And it really is, especially for, for white people, there's this responsibility. If you want to work towards equity, there's going to be some active work to really learn, to really do more perspective taking, kind of like the situation that you're describing here. I mean, there was some missing information that this man did not have about the experience of being a mother, right? And and the same thing, if there's if we need to, we as as white people need to be learning, listening, so that we can start to understand more about the experience of all people and build a better society. Exactly. And something that Crystal, you said when I saw you on a webinar, or it might have been a Facebook Live. You said early in the pandemic, right after George Floyd died, that people of color cannot do all the work. So don't call your black friend and say, what can I do? White allyship means doing the work ourselves. So that's something that stuck with me. And that's very profound. Yes. Thank you for remembering that. Yes. Yeah. Because I actually remember... I distinctly remember my first impulse was to do that. <laughs> and you definitely gave me a new perspective on how to approach my own education. So, so thank you for that. Yes. So we're going to wrap up here, but I want to, I want to know more about how people can find you, how they can get in touch and how they can learn more about planting the seeds of change. So Renee, why don't you go first? 
Sure. My firm is the Ross Collective, the Ross, the Ross Collective.com. And definitely come, you know, visit our website. We, I also write, I send out a newsletter every other week on racial equity, nonprofit strategy and leadership. And so, you know, would be happy to connect with anyone who wants to learn more about this service that Crystal and I are offering, you know, talk. Crystal, where are you online? Where can we connect with you? Yeah. Um, so um, the name of my firm is The Board Pro, and you can find me at uh, theboardpro.com. Um, I also have a uh, Facebook page, The Board Pro, and there will be information about planting the seeds for change on my website and Renee's website in the future. And I also blog, not as often as Renee. So I do have some interesting blogs on mine. Renee's stuff is really profound. So I really, really want to encourage your listeners to, to check out hers. But we both have blogs on our website and just trying to stay in the know about what's going on in this space. And so we're learning as, you know, as we're training and guiding and facilitating people, we're learning as well. So, yes. <laughs> so well, thank yeah, you so both. I think to, uh, reach out to us. Thank you. I think for me, the, biggest takeaways are number one, to start having the conversation, start somewhere and it's going to be imperfect and Mm -hmm. it might be emotional and it might be hard, but just have the conversation. And then the second piece is that it's a journey and Mm -hmm. it's not something to check off the to-do list. So I think those are the two biggest takeaways from my audience. And I really appreciate the both of you being here. Everyone oh. check out the board pro, the Ross collective. I will put all the links in the show notes. And as always, thanks for listening. Join me next week. Same place, same time. Take care. Thank, Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Bye. Well, Hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then, you can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell 77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Oh,